Okay, this is the Mido podcast, and I am Ashley. And I'm Megan. And today we have a couple of guests. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Well, I'm Cheryl Porter, and we live in Atlanta, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I have five children, and my middle child is David, and he has Lee syndrome. David? And, and I am David. And I am 33, and I was diagnosed with Lee syndrome about 11 years ago. That's so amazing. So why don't we go ahead and get started, and can you tell us more about that story about being diagnosed 11 years ago? Because that's, is that when your Mito story began? Um, well, technically it is, but uh, looking back on it, um, with with mitochondrial disease, you're, it's genetic, so you're actually born with it, but mine did not manifest and show itself till I was 22, and about, um, I was about five weeks away from graduating college, and um, I was in a, um, the, the first time that we noticed it, I had come home from college because I lived at home and I commuted. Yeah. And um, my dad noticed me walking down the uh, the hallway of our house and that I was um, propping myself up against the wall to walk. And so he just noticed that was a little bit strange. So um, as everyone with mitochondrial disease does, um, we, it seemed like from that point on, we were in the doctor's office every other day. Mm -hmm. And um, um, the first doctors I remember going to. I'd, lo I'd love to give a little bit of background also though, before he goes forward with that. Um, so because we have five children, he is the only one that is affected with mitochondrial disease. And even as a child, he didn't meet milestones. So looking back, once he got the diagnosis, we could look back and it was rather textbook. But of course, at that time, first of all, he was born in 1984. I mean, I don't think mitochondrial disease is a diagnosis you would have received back then. But he was tested significantly more as a child than, well, none of the other children were. He was um, tested for cystic fibrosis. He had failure to thrive, things like that. So again, looking back, it wasn't a hugely surprising diagnosis, but with a diagnosis like Lee syndrome, he was not nearly as um, badly affected, you know, as a child at all. So therefore, because he was able to, I feel like because his bodily systems were able to Function. develop um, fairly, fairly normally. That's why they believe that he has a milder case and was able to not manifest. We'll never understand why he manifested. So it was a, a violent uh, manifestation. In other words, it went from seemingly no symptoms to in a wheelchair within uh, really maybe three weeks. Oh. Um, just, just very, very quick. And it's because he has lesions on the brainstem, 
um, and they were they were growing. And his first symptom was actually the eyesight. Well, no, I guess it was the dizziness, and that's what was causing the not being able to walk. But quickly, it was eyesight. So of course, we went to eye doctors and ear, nose, and throat. And then um, when we went to a, I mean, then you know you quickly go to a neurologist, and his was actually rather quickly diagnosed from the MRI. Oh, wow. And then our world changed. So. Yeah. So from the first symptom that you had, um, how soon did you guys get the diagnosis? Like, how did they, I mean, I, I know you said as he was growing up, they were testing for different things. So at, at this time, at 22, what was their first, like, how did they approach going straight to Mito? Did they test other things again first, or did they just say, you know what, let's just, this is what we think it is today? Our neurologist just happened to know a mitochondrial disease specialist in Atlanta. Wow. Um, so we just really feel like God brought us to that neurologist. And as a matter of fact, that is not the neurologist we were supposed to see. And, but that's who we had to go see. And so I feel like we potentially saved months of testing by having a neurologist that when he saw this MRI had the thought Mito in his mind, whereas I believe another one might not have thought that so quickly, but because of his uh, relationship with this other, this Mito doc, he, he actually, um, his thought process went there much more quickly is my opinion. Yeah. You gave me chills. <laughs> That's the part of our story. I feel like that a lot of people are kind of like jealous of because my sister was um, working at um, a doctor's office adjacent doctor. to the hospital. Yes. So she kind of had connections well, her doctor did. <laughs> yeah, her doctor did. And um, so we got diagnosed, I think it was within, I got diagnosed within about two weeks, maybe? No. Or was it two months? Two months from the very beginning to then, but that's still yeah. amazingly quick. I mean, yeah. we went to the first um, Atlanta chapter meeting and um, of the UMDF, and... Um, I remember people said, we've been on there for two years and we're right. still waiting. So people are very, we were very blessed in that. We aspect. really were. I will say part of it again was this doctor's knowledge and the fact that he ordered a, a cat's um, lumbar puncture immediately. So therefore that was started, you know, more quickly. And way before we got to see the mito specialist, he at requested that we go ahead and have the muscle biopsy. So we just had, by the time we saw the mito specialist, he had so much information already at his fingertips. Mm -hmm. But then again, I, I, I think the key was really that the, the um, MRI was quite conclusive. Oh, I was just going to say it is. I mean, when you hear the stories and we've, you know, over the years, I've met many other parents and been to the symposiums. And I mean, we went through three neurologists before 
we were able to get Troy's diagnosis and we had wonderful doctors. And of course we have one, you know, the best specialists here in San Diego, Dr. Haas. Um, and we were fortunate enough to get to him, but you hear these stories of just years and so much time and just different doctors who have not been introduced to it or don't know, you know, where to go with the different um, symptoms and things. So you, that is very fortunate, very fortunate. And I, it's interesting because um, that was exactly our story with Angie. Um, the neurologist that we went to happened to share an office with Dr. Haas and they were just sitting together and he's like, Hey, you should look at this. <laughs> so it, it's, it was a very similar story for us as well. And, but the, you're right. So many people go through months and years and waiting for a diagnosis. And a lot of times it's because of the areas that they live in and, And I don't think um, we do a good enough job in like nursing school and medical school to be able to talk about Mito. And that's definitely something that that needs to change in the future. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. So before we continue, I do want to ask you two more questions about what we're talking about. Um, So the diagnosis, when you guys got the genetic testing, do you remember what, um, what gene it was and what the percentage was that was affected? Uh, it is absolutely, and see, this is just another miracle in his story is that we actually have a gene mutation diagnosis. So it's SURF1, mm-hmm. which is even more rare than being thir- uh, 22 with Lee's. Um, but no, I don't know the percentage. I've never heard that actually. That's okay. I actually, I'm going to want to look that up now. <laughs> see yeah. if it's in the records. Yeah, I, I definitely hope in the future we can have a podcast that talks about that because I think it is very, very confusing. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, as an example, so like we had um, Ruby and Raquel on last week, uh, who is Ruby Hasley syndrome. And she was, I think she said 100. 90, 100%. Yeah, 100% affected in that gene. And oh, Angie oh. was 70% affected in that gene. So every, every person that's diagnosed has a different percentage in which that specific gene is affected. Um, so it's just interesting, but we should definitely try in the future to have a podcast that explains that because it's very confusing and, and it's definitely worth talking about. Um, but so my second question was for David, um, you had just come home from college, you were five weeks out from graduating and all of this was starting, it was going on. And I'm sure that this is probably a hard question, so you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But what was that like for you, having all of these things happen to you all of a sudden? Absolutely. That um, went through my mind um, a lot is like, um, what, what's going on? What, why, why am I so different? But um, I, I, I look back and I, I knew that I, I was a lot smaller than everyone else, a lot smaller. In our family. In our family and in college and everywhere else in life. Yeah. So I knew that something was um, different about me. And one, I was, I was kind of glad to have an explanation for mm-hmm. it. Um, and we got uh, like one, one of the testings they did was 
Um, I forget if this is part of the lumbar puncture, lumbar puncture, but um, they were testing to see if I had folate deficiency in the brain, which they said, you actually want that. And I was very confused about that. And they said, you want that because there's actually something you can do to uh, help that. And so I, um, I've been taking a medicine for that ever since. And so it's just reassuring to, to a patient because I've been, I had been going to the doctor so much my whole life and all they were able to tell me is this is what it is not. Correct. And I was just glad to have um, something that said this is what it is. And then also just the kind of person I am, I like helping people. Um, I've worked at Chick-fil-A for almost 20 years. So it's kind of been um, implanted in me to help people. And so being, having a diagnosis gave me a sort of focus group of what people to focus on to help. Mm, that's awesome. But how did you feel while you were going through that when we didn't know what was wrong yet and you were dizzy and losing your eyesight? Can you remember how you felt? Um, honestly, my, my vision was so blurry that I literally felt like I was going to be blind any day. And I, I'm a very religious person, so I prayed every single night um, in my bed by myself. I prayed every single night that I would, that uh, either I would be able to retain my sight or that um, I would be able to have a, a very good memory of what things look like. Um, and that all of my, I know that there are people out there who don't have this and they, they don't have the, like, for example, when you're blind, others, um, other systems in your body work better. Like you can feel vibrations a lot better. Right, um, and influences your other senses. Yes, exactly. And I just prayed that I would be able to have other systems uh, step up their, their game, so to speak. That's what my grandfather always talks about is step up your game. So mm -hmm. I was praying that I would step up my game. Mm -hmm. he, he literally went from that day he handed us his keys and said, I don't need to be driving anymore. I'm too dizzy. Mm -hmm. And within three weeks, he was in a wheelchair, completely unable to care for himself. We would transfer him to the bed and to the chair. And it, it was progressing so quickly. How is your eyesight now? Um, I would say, well, it's perfect unless I get tired. And then it becomes a little bit blurry, but it it um i'm I'm never really worried about it going away now um, and that's just something that I've had it for so long that I'm just not um, 
I don't expect it to go away, you know. Does that make sense? Yes, I'm sure it kind of feels like, um, kind of like what you were saying with being able to increase your other senses. These are now like signs that you get if your body is too tired or if you're doing too much, your eyesight goes blurry or you might get dizzy. So something that was happening all at once 11 years ago is scary. You're thinking that these things were going to end. You're not going to see anymore, but now you've been able to adapt, understand, okay, it's not going to go away, but I did too much. I need to take it back. I need to rest. And I think that that's also really important for our listeners to understand and, and um, go ahead, David, you want to say something? Absolutely. And I, I uh, have actually learned to uh, be able to appreciate the beauty of things so much more. Like when, when I go on a hike and we end up at a lake or something, I'm just like, that is absolutely breathtaking. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a little bit more tired at that point. So I know what I expended out to be able to get to that point of the lake. Are there times where you get to a point, like you're saying, where you are losing energy or that you've maybe pushed too far? Are there things that you can do to um, help recuperate faster? Or do you just need time to just rest and shut down for a while? Um, I, I think one thing is we've learned we're a lot smarter. And so he doesn't reach that point often because it's like, for instance, the hike, let's just say he could hike a mile. Well, we're not going to hike a mile. We're going to hike half a mile because then you still have half a mile to come back, you know? So we try to be really smart about not getting to that point. There have been one or two times that he really only one or two where he just collapsed and he wasn't going to go farther. You know, luckily we were close and, uh, but generally it takes one of those moments that I collapsed was it was a very proud moment because I was very proud to actually take down um, some people at our church that we were going to at the time had built me a wheelchair ramp to go outside of our front door yeah. and I was actually doing well enough at the time that I was able to participate in taking it down taking it apart yes and uh it was 90 degrees outside <laughs> yes part of the joys of living in the south yes um but it was symbolic you know i i knew he should not be out there but he needed to be doing that yes so. that's amazing yeah. so going back to um when you started having all these symptoms and within a couple weeks you were in a wheelchair i know um, a lot of us are very familiar with what we call mito crashes. Mm -hmm. um, so is that something that you were having at that point? And then um, what did you do or um, how did you recover from that and come back from that? Well, when, when I have crashes, which at the time I was having a lot of crashes, mm -hmm. I would take naps, um, which was very strange to me at the time because I didn't think of myself as a nap taker mm -hmm. um, until 
I got Mido and then I was very much a nap taker and I love my naps. <laughs> um, and I would also drink a lot of water. Um, that's part of, part of my Mido crashes is I get a very severe headaches. Um, and one, I'm a, I'm a big reader. So when I read, I have to wear my glasses a lot and it doesn't really help me see. It just helps give my eyes a rest. Um, and so I take naps, I drink water. Um, my, the last resort for me is to take medicine because I take enough pills every day that I don't want to have to take another one, you know? Um, we also try to prepare ahead of time. If, if we know we've got a trip or a big day, he'll do nothing the day before to really, mm -hmm. you know, prepare, conserve, hopefully. I think going along with Megan's question too, when you, when you did have this, this big crash, the one that gave you the diagnosis, was there something going on that caused it? Like, did you have a cold or the flu or anything like that? Or did it just, you know, decide, Hey, you're going to have Mito today. <laughs> we have racked our brains. And of course at that point we were racking our brains because that's the first question they ask. And, you know, maybe around Christmas, so this was March that, um, that it all began and maybe around Christmas, January, he had had just the slightest cold, like nothing that you would even call the flu. I mean, so irrelevant that we weren't sure. So I would say, no, there was not a big, there was not a life event, you know, that we could tie it to. Yeah. The, the only thing that I was doing at the time was that I could think that was quote unquote, like out of the norm is I was in an intermediate swimming class in college. And so I was expending my body more than I normally do. Um, so I don't, I don't know why that would have, but it was out of the norm. You know? huh, that's so interesting. Um, so you were talking about uh, taking pills. <laughs> yes. So I'm assuming that that might be part of your Mito cocktail. Is there, yeah. what can I ask you guys what you guys take for your Mito cocktail? Yes, but before I answer that, can I tell you how we came to it? Because that's another miracle. Yes. So we have a really good friend that went to medical school with the Mito doctor's nurse. So when this all began and the word mitochondrial disease was ever first uttered, and we went to we go to church with this friend, so she was very involved in knowing what was going on and everything. So the minute the word mitochondrial disease was mentioned, way before we had a doctor's appointment, a, a, a mito specialist appointment, my friend called the nurse and found out if it's mitochondrial disease, what should he be taking? And so she told us, you know, at that point it was, CoQ10, L-carnitine, B vitamins. I don't remember what it was back then. So I we began that immediately. We began, and by we, I mean he, <laughs> 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 began that before we ever even saw the Mito specialist. And I chose to have the 
CoQ10 compounded so that it would be as pure as possible. Not everybody agrees. They, they, most people feel like that was a waste of money. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. So that's what he was, that's what he took initially. I'd like to point out like all of the things that you just mentioned are still to this day, the number one things yes. my doctors tell their patients to take. I think it's really important because you guys are now 11 years into this journey and we're still taking the same medications or not even medication supplements. Supplements. Yeah. Yes. Those are the three top that everybody, because we, like I said, going through this for 12 years, there's so many different things that are added in or taken out, but those three, those are the, the solid three that are always in everyone's cocktails. So that's amazing that you were able to find that out so quickly. And did you see that that made any difference? I know a lot of us, um, my son was started on it right away when he was one and a half. And to be honest, he's never been off of it. So, you know, he's doing well and I hope that it, you know, it works, but I really don't have anything to compare it to. Um, so did you see um, any sort of decrease in your symptoms or more energy? How did you feel? Um, I did see an increase. Slight. Well, a slight increase in, uh, in my amount of energy. Um, but I also, um, wait, well, then, then we got the diagnosis from this, of the cerebral folate deficiency and he was able to take the leucovorin that seemed to make the biggest difference. Now, however, by the time he started taking leucovorin, he had been on the others for a couple, um, June, at least one month, maybe two. So it's hard to know, was it that thing added in or was it the other stuff building up? Because the CoQ10 needs to build up. Those yeah. don't just make a difference in a day, you know, but that's when we really saw the, the big, big difference was once that was added, the leucovorin. For us, um, it's interesting that you say that, that you have to build it in your system. And for Angie, it was the opposite. She took one dose and it completely changed her. Um, so it's very interesting how everyone's bodies react differently. So if someone is starting their mito cocktail, if it doesn't, if it sometimes it will work in a couple doses and sometimes your body needs time. It's just, we're all so different. We're built differently. Our systems are different. So every, you have to give it a good chance to filter through, but for her, it was immediate. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he was doing so relatively well at that point. I mean, seriously, in, in consider, um, in comparison to the beginning that, uh, and I would have never done this, but I wished I could test it and see, wow, is this really helping? You know, let's stop it. But I, I just would never do that. But at one point we did have to stop the CoQ10 to participate in a clinical trial. Oh my goodness. And so he had to be, he could continue the leucoborn uh, and L-carnitine, but he had to stop the CoQ10. And he had to be off of it for three weeks. Mm -hmm. The muscle pain and, and, uh, and, and fatigue was so severe. So it was so fascinating to have absolute proof. Wow. That had really been helping, you know, 
And so then when he started the clinical drug, the drug that's part of the clinical trial, um, it actually did help him, but it had to build back up to where he got to baseline on where he had been with the CoQ10 and then farther beyond. And we, we actually did it another time unintentionally. We didn't bring a, enough medicine on a trip with us. Well, that was with the, the trial drug. With the trial drug that did a similar thing, the same thing as CoQ10, just better. And going without it for even three days, I was experiencing incredible leg pain and it was significant. Muscle, wow. uh, muscle fatigue. Are you able to tell us about the trial and what the drug was that you were taking or are you not able to talk about that? I think it's, I think it's okay. So okay. He, uh, seven years ago um, was allowed to take, um, at that time it was called Edison Pharmaceuticals and it was EPI 743. So at that time it was the first drug ever being tested for my, as a, not a, um, not a cure, but a, a, you know, to treat the symptoms of mitochondrial disease. And so he was able to start that on compassionate use basis because he's way too old for the parameters of the trial. Mm -hmm. But he had, he still continues that today. Um, so therefore he also doesn't take CoQ10. So he takes we, EPI 743, which now has a new name that I should know and I think it's good that you're pointing it out. It's EPI 743 because I think the majority of people that have been diagnosed or have family members that are diagnosed with Mito, that name still sticks. That mm -hmm. one still pops up. So like for me, I immediately recognized it and I'm sure Megan probably did too. Um, but it's definitely talked about a lot. It's the number one thing that gets, once you get into your diagnosis and you start joining support groups, that drug is always brought up. So I'm glad that you um, are able to talk about it and say that you went through trials and that they were successful for you. Yes, they were very successful. And did they talk to you about what EPI 743 actually is? Um, so I'm an accountant. I'm not scientific. <laughs> but I understand him pretty well. <laughs> so, but um, my limited understanding is that it um, is hoping to increase the glutathione uptake in the brain. And so as part of the testing that he had to do before he began taking it, and we use the word trial. He isn't in the trial. He's compassionate use, but he still had to go through all of the same testing and everything, right? And so he had to have a nuclear brain spec. And so I got to see the difference before and after he had one brain spec and then 13 weeks later, we went back for another one. And it was fairly remarkable. Uh, it was very remarkable to see the different, how his brain lit up with the additional glutathione. I wanna, sorry, Megan. Um, I wanna point out, and I'm sorry I keep bringing this up or stopping our conversation to, to tell our listeners, but um, the reason why this drug is so important is because there are very limited amounts of vitamins or drugs that leak to the brain, which is something I didn't know before having Angie. So the reason API 743 is so, um, I don't want to say amazing, but for lack of, of another word, I guess interesting is that they found something that does that. They found something that can be a carrier to your brain. 
And that's what's so important about finding research or funding research for Mito is to find all of these drugs that can do that. And they do a bunch of, um, the researchers do a bunch of trials on a bunch of different drugs. And, and that's like the, the, the flag that pops up for all the Mito doctors is when they read something like this about something leaking to the brain, they immediately want to trial it for Mito because because there's just such a limited amount of things that do that, which I think is incredibly interesting on a science or medical background of it. It's like how we're in, in 2020 and, and we're trying to discover drugs that go to the brain. And it's interesting that they don't. <laughs> yes. Um, so what, uh, so we talked about a couple of the different things that are in your cocktail. You talked about EPI. Is there anything else that you take in addition or is that the gist of it? Um, that's it. But I would like for him to explain to you what we think has been another major factor. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, this was 11 years ago that he was um, diagnosed. But one of the first things they said is, whatever you do, do not exercise because you will use up your store of energy and you won't be able to replace that. Well, um, which, which somewhat makes sense, right? If you, if you don't have a lot of energy, well then a couple of people who, who had had it a while said, no, we're actually finding that exercise in, in moderation, of course, is significant. So can you talk about what a difference that's made? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, I, at, at first I, I wouldn't, go out on walks and it would it would make me tired but um it that's to be expected but it's just like the uh the l-carnitine we were talking about earlier where it affects different people's bodies so much differently my body just had to build up to that yes um being able to go out every day and now um back um, about 11 years ago when I was um, in the bed and in the wheelchair all the time, I could barely wiggle my fingers. And now 11 years later, um, after working very hard, having brothers that pushed me and actually sisters that pushed me as well, and having a bunch of nieces and one nephew that pushed me as well. Um, I'm benching 175 pounds and, um, I'm, I'm walking, um, I have this, this fam, this family in the neighborhood that I live in that I, that I, um, walk with and they have a dog that basically he walks me, but we go out at least twice a day. And um, so it, it's definitely possible, but I, the thing that I would say that's important about that is do listen to your body when you're doing it. If your body is acting slow, that means you're tired and that's okay. Just slow down or maybe even stop. And certainly, because we live in Georgia, those walks probably will not continue in July and August. <laughs> they, yeah. You know, he has to do indoor things at that point because the heat is, is a significant problem. 
Yeah, uh, I think that's a great topic as well, because a lot of mito patients, um, heat and cold really affect them. Um, and it's really hard to regulate temperature. David has never been too cold in his life. (laughs) I was too too cold a couple days ago, um, and I'm actually glad that my mom got to be here to witness this, but we were out on the lake a couple days ago, and we were kayaking with my nieces, and I, we jumped, me and my nieces jumped in the water to, to swim around a little bit, and the water was freezing. Shocking, yeah. And so, like, I literally was, um, I don't, I don't know. Shocked. Shocked. <laughs> and I literally could not catch my breath for a full minute or so, mm-hmm. and my mom said to me once, she was like, are you okay? Like, and it's happened many times to me, but I was the only one around or whatever. And so it's, it's good to be around people who are worried about you or not worried, but concerned about you. They're looking out for you. Yes. Yeah. And Megan and I were just talking the other day, um, and so obviously San Diego, the weather isn't as drastic, but um, the the weather changed like a couple degrees and the humidity was just a little bit higher. And Troy, he does not, you want to talk about that, Megan? <laughs> Troy, Troy has difficulty regulating his temperature too, but he's like you were saying about David, he's always warm. He's like a little heater and I'm always checking his forehead and um, but as soon as the humidity hits, it's just like a whole different game. He just completely wilts and it's, it's just something with him that we notice as soon as it gets humid that he just doesn't, um, he's just not himself. He just, he seems like he can't cool himself um, and we have to be uh, very careful, but he definitely, I don't know, I think I've only seen him shiver maybe once or twice, but he definitely... <laughs> He runs hot all the time. Anytime we take him to PT, everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's so warm. And I'm like, he's fine. He's not sick. He's not running fever. I'm like, that's just Troy. But the humidity is just, and, and heat in general, even though we tend, generally tend to have more of a dry heat, um, anytime it's 85, 90 degrees, it's just, we have to make sure he's in an air conditioned environment or in a pool or something like that. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Megan, I have a question for you about Troy. Um, do do you do anything as far as because um, I know when I get too hot, we have a portable fan that I carry around, or we wet. I have a special towel that I wet and throw around the neck. Mm-hmm. And other people have suggested to me to um, get a cooling vest. Oh, yeah. We have never, I've read actually quite a few things on cooling vests, and um, we've never actually looked into the cooling vest. We, it's funny that you said you tie around, we make what are called T's cool downs, and the proceeds go to the UMDF and Mito Research Fund, um, but they're basically um, Troy drools, uh, so we've always made his bibs out of um, bandanas, and I've always put um, a, like a it has to be kind of a thinner cotton washcloth on the back um, just to be a little bit more absorbent since obviously he's 12 years old and 
We don't want to put them in little baby bibs. Um, so I've been making those for years and years and years. And my husband is actually an ultra runner. Um, I don't know if you know what those are, but he runs hundred mile races. Um, so yep, there's, there's one. <laughs> so we actually made it to where there's a pocket. Um, the washcloth is actually a pocket and we put ice in it. Um, you can also just put cool water, which helps because the ice destroys a little, ah, there's ice on my neck. Um, oh, that is so cool. Yeah, so we use those to help cool them down. Um, yeah, it's amazing how innovative you get when you have <laughs> different issues. That, But my husband was like, oh, that would be great for my runs if we put ice in it. And so um, we use those. But I have heard cooling vests um, work really well. We just never tried one with them because we tend to you know, take them indoors and do the air conditioning or, um, like I said, or we're, you know, in a pool or something like that. So Megan has saved me so many times with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten so hot out here for, our, for when I go running and, um, I have used this so many times. <laughs> and what did you say those were called, Megan? They're called T's cool down. At the end, if you want to uh, give me your address, I'll send you one. So you can try it out. Okay. Um, so uh, I know we talked a little bit um, about certain aspects of daily life, kind of like the, the Mito cocktail. You mentioned that you work at Chick-fil-A, but um, what other things, what is daily life like for you today? Um, I've worked very hard um, because as, as a mito patient, um, just a very, a very normal thing is that mito patients, as we talked about earlier, are very hard on themselves. Like when they first get the diagnosis and things start to go, um, um, a little bit downhill. And so I have worked very hard, not only physically, but mentally. So I wake up in the morning and um, I do something to calm me down mentally, whether that's um, just sitting in bed underneath my fan, which most time that is what it is. Um, or I do a devotion in the morning or um, a lot of times I, I will go brush my teeth and just throw hot, um, cold water, not hot water, <laughs> cold water on my face. And um, so that, that just sort of wakes me up and gets me ready for the day. And then I'm a coffee um, fanatic. So mm -hmm. I have to have my cup of coffee in the morning and just wake up very slowly. So I have my second cup with him when he's having his first. <laughs> <laughs> the same way uh, I have to have my coffee before Andrew comes to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's, that's a rule that we have in the house. On a weekday when my dad is already at work, the rule is no talking for the first hour that I'm awake. Before coffee. So, um, but then... Um, I, I in, enjoy, um, I'm a big, big, big sports fanatic. So 
I do whatever I can to catch up on sports. And um, I also realize that um, exercise and working out is going to, it may not be the most fun thing that I do, which for me it is one of the most fun things, but for most people it's usually not one of the most fun things you'll do, but I find that it makes the rest of the day so much easier and so much more enjoyable. So I either go outside for walks, which I do a lot, um, and I, I do a lot of push-ups. I have a push-up app on my phone um, that helps me with that and that helps count them. And I do um, crunches. Um, in the summer, you do the Wii Fit. In the summer, I do the Wii Fit. And uh, so I'm actually, I wouldn't put myself in the category as you guys, but I actually run, but um, not anywhere close to you guys' uh, level. I wouldn't put myself at Megan's level either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely would not consider myself to be anywhere in the same ballpark as Megan's husband. Yeah, no, there's not many people that are. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little crazy. <laughs> so we do a good job, I think, of looking ahead, like, you know, the night before, okay, here's what's coming up tomorrow. For instance, if he's working, he works from 11 to 2. He doesn't drive, so I drive him. But then he knows I've got to be ready at 1030, you know, and, um, and then when he does come home, he will rest after that because he will have been on his feet. Um, if we have a doctor's appointment, so we really think through um, what the next day is going to hold. And even the next week, depending on how high the activity level is going to be. Um, and so if, if there's a lot coming up, especially if it's day after day, then a larger portion of the day is going to be resting, right, to get to be ready. If he's got an off day in between two days of activity, that is usually enough to just rest on that day. So that really determines his, his activity level when we look through what's going to be coming up. I think that's a really good point to bring up for people who are listening as well, because it can be very overwhelming um, when you have uh, children with any any type of disease or any type of mito or any type of disease that really affects your energy, because you have all these um, different therapies that you do and having to schedule those and your doctor's appointments. I know when we had Angie, it was very overwhelming and stressful because I had, and I, I had to have a separate calendar just to book everything just for her. And I had to be careful about exactly what you're saying over booking us for the week. We had things that we had to do every week. We had things that we had to do every other week. And it finally got to the point where you just have to make the decision. How important is this one appointment or how important really is this activity? Because it's going to exhaust you to the point of now you're going to be down for a couple of days. So yeah. it's hard to find that, that balance of saying what is and what isn't important. I so totally agree. You know how easy it is to see a blank on the calendar and think, oh, we can do it then. And then that week gets here and you think, what was I thinking? It's three days in a row. But so we try to be smarter than that. 
Um, and I just forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I do that all the time. <laughs> that, that happens all the time with me. Um, so uh, for both of you, maybe we'll start with David first. Um, what do you want people to know about Mito? And what do you want people to know about you specifically? Um, I want people to know about Mito that even though, even though we may be uh, uh, different as far as our capabilities go, you're still a human being. And so you still, as you were talking a, f a few podcasts ago, I was listening that um, you still deserve to take up space. And there's plenty of space in this world for you. I, I know that I, when I was really bad, I had a lot of time to think. Mm. And so I started thinking, um, I, I would say to people, con control your thoughts and don't let them go down. Um, like me and a lot of the other mito patients that I had come into contact with, which are a lot, we talked about um, the squirrel trail where you're talking about one thing and then you get sidetracked so you go towards another thing. Don't try as hard as you can to think positive. Um, one, one of my, I consider her a friend, but I never got to meet her. She lived out in the uh, San Diego, I believe it was San Diego, it was somewhere in California. And her, na her name is Rena. Mm -hmm. And um, she passed away um, a few, a couple of years ago. Um, but she made this movie called Rena's Magic Bracelet. And her, her mantra was always love life, dream big and be positive. And so, so that's, that, that's what I try to live by is your life may be different, but embrace it, love it for what it is. And then dream big. So you may not be able to walk. Like I was not able to walk at one time in my life, but I dreamed big and I was able to accomplish it. So start with small dreams, but work towards your bigger dream and then be positive and um, everything that is going, going wrong or seems to be going wrong, think of it in a positive way. Do whatever you can to turn it positive. I think that's a very beautiful message, David. That is, definitely. Thank you. Cheryl, how about you? What do you want people to know about Mito? And maybe even about being a, a Mito mom? Yeah. <laughs> so I really feel in some ways that I'm in a unique position because when you initially look at David now, that is not your first thought that he has mitochondrial disease. Um, and so I think one of the things that would be important to me is for people to understand that there are still limitations, even if they're not 
right in your face. Um, but then again, I also know that there are a lot of mitochondrial disease patients where their um, limitations are obvious. For instance, if they're in a, a wheelchair, then they have that limitation. So I don't really know how to get that across, but that's important to me because um, it's so important that we have correct expectations for our, for our people, you know, for our children and our young adults who are dealing with this. Um, I also have a lot of people referred to me sometimes since we've been dealing with this for 11 years that so that I can talk to them about mitochondrial disease. And the one thing that I always say is it is a better place to be right now with mitochondrial disease than it was 11 years ago. We still have so far to go. And you alluded to that earlier that we're still doing the same cocktail, but there are so many more people that just even know that word, right? They still have a hazy, a hazy fuzzy <laughs> thought of what it might mean, but, but it is a better place. There, there's actually research happening, right? And there are trial uh, drugs on trial. So, so there's hope, but also, oh my goodness, there's still so far to go. But the main thing that I wanna say is, I tell David all the time, if, if you compare yourself to your peers that do not have mitochondrial disease, who are driving and working full time and you will be discouraged. We cannot do that. We have to look at where you are compared to where we thought you would be. 11 years ago, there was not one doctor that thought that he would be alive. And he's not just alive, he's thriving. And we hope making a difference, you know? So I just, we have to keep the correct perspective, but boy oh boy, do we still have to help teach others too, right? I know when I was speaking to um, Ashley about David, um, just knowing that David is doing so well, I mean, that gives parents who have any sort of Lee's diagnosis, because of course somebody can have the same diagnosis and their uh, disease takes completely different routes. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's hopeful. It's hopeful to know, you know, that David's out there and he's strong and he's progressing and doing so well. Um, I think that in general, just, gives people hope. But I think you two are so lovely. I'm so glad that we were able to speak to you and I was able to meet you two today. You seem like an amazing mom who's doing such a wonderful job. And David, you are beyond amazing. So I'm so glad that we were able to talk to you today. And all your words of wisdom, I think, have been very helpful. And the listeners, I think, are really going to enjoy listening to your messages. Absolutely. I, I agree that I do have an amazing mom. <laughs> I would not be here if it weren't for a lot of people, but I would not be here for sure if it were not for her. Well, gotta love our moms. <laughs> I have potentially been a pretty big pest at some times with the doctor. <laughs> that's, that's your right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, but you're right. There's so many different faces of Mito, and there's so many different levels and degrees, and that goes for any disability. It's really easy for people to pass judgment based off a simple visual. And a lot of people don't understand that these diseases affect you from the inside. They might not be visual. You might not be able to see someone walking down the street and, and know that they're fighting something. It's, it's the same as, as mental illness. You don't know what someone is going through. Um, so it is important um, for everyone to understand 
to not pass judgment and to, if you are curious, then ask questions in a nice way, start a conversation. You don't have to um, judge anyone. Um, And I think you also made a very good point um, because when I did mention that we're all taking the same cocktail, I don't want anyone to feel um, like we haven't made any advances because we have, we definitely have made advances and um you're right there's a lot of amazing trials that are going on right now and and from two years ago like there wasn't we go through um it's like a roller coaster we have our ups and we have our downs and and right now i think is a very important time because there are some really great things that are going on and hopefully all of those trials and hopefully all of those researchers and doctors are on the edge of something and um, I, I can I can feel it, and I'm sure a lot of other people can too. That we are on the verge of discovering something amazing that could help all of our, our anyone that has mito or anyone that has something similar to mito, um, or just have your mitochondria affected because you can also have that and not have mito. Go ahead, David. Um, I remember I went to. Um... It was probably the second MITRE symposium I had ever been to, but it was in Pittsburgh. And at the time, the CEO of the UMDF, Chuck Mohan, who is a really good friend of mine, and I I love him. And um, he he just, he starts a symposium with something that'll get your attention. So he was looking one day and he saw that he had a, a train whistle. And so he blew that as loud as he could. And so he, of course, he had everyone's attention and he said, that's the, that's the train of the train that's holding um, the cure and it's coming because many, many advances are being made. Absolutely. And I think too, just in the diagnosis process, um, I think we're seeing so many more options for that and, you know, with the genetics, the advancements of genetics, and they're, you know, finding different um, things every day. So there's a lot of research that's happening that's hopefully going to get us there. It's going to get us there. Absolutely. So, Megan, did you have any more questions? No, like I said, I just feel very fortunate that we were able to talk to you today, and I appreciate you so much being on with us. It's amazing to hear your story and to hear both of you. It's so nice to have Um, A lot of times we just have the moms on because, you know, of course our children are young or they're nonverbal or things like that. But it was so nice to have both of you and just, you know, both of you tell your stories and different things. And so it was very nice. Thank you. Well, I will say I, I um, enjoy, enjoyed you calling me young right there. (laughs) And um, I, I enjoyed very much um, getting to chat with you two because it is I, I think that it is very amazing what both of you are doing with this podcast yes. because it's it's um, the symposium is one thing to be able to meet other people but we need a, a way to be able to get our stories out there mm-hmm. and bridge not only are uh, other patients hearing this, but, you know, potentially doctors are hearing this. 
I did think of one thing that I forgot to say that is probably important to understand because I had mentioned that I have five children. Um, once we receive David's genetic diagnosis, it is a recessive, recessive, autosomal recessive diagnosis, which explains why I do not have mitochondrial disease and need, um, no other of my children have it um, because it's in the nuclear DNA. So, because I think often, more often that's not the case and you might see more than one child affected or often the mother affected. So I, I think that's a diff an important distinction. Absolutely. You're right, absolutely. And I, I think we've talked about this um, on another podcast that it's always great to bring it up because you don't know if everyone has heard and all of the podcasts, but mitochondrial diseases, it was thought of many, many years ago to only be inherited from the mother, but that has changed. And what is deceiving is the fact that it's called a mitochondrial disease because mitochondria only come from the mother. Right. But we have discovered, and this is a great thing to point out for research, um, to point out the research is that um, when you have a cell, and this is also, I should probably let Megan tell everybody this part, she's more sciencey than I am. So you have a cell and you have to think of it of, as like an egg, right? So when you crack open the egg, you have the, you have the white and then you have the yolk. So the white would be the mitochondria, the yolk would be your nuclear DNA. And so the nuclear DNA tells you what you're going to look like, like gives you all your features, all that, and the mitochondria gives you your energy. But mitochondrial diseases have been discovered to find both in the mitochondria and like you're pointing out in the nucleus. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's essentially um, almost three different diseases because you can also have a de novo and it pop out of nowhere and not even be, even though it's a genetic disease, it doesn't have to come from genetics. Mm -hmm. So um, it's all very fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, well, thank you so much. Did you, did either of you guys have any questions for us? We don't usually ask anybody, but I figured I would, I would for you too. <laughs> that is a loaded question. It so, is. <laughs> um, I don't think so, not for right now, no. Okay. Well, thank you both so much for being with us. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you both. If anyone that is listening has any questions or if you have any uh, topic ideas or you just want to reach out to us, please email us at mitopodcast at gmail. You can also find us on our Facebook page or on our Instagram page. You can comment, you can leave us messages. Um, there's so many different ways for you to reach out to us. So if you have a topic that is burning in your mind and you really, really want to hear about it, let us know. Or if you have a doctor or researcher or someone that has been influential in your mital life, reach out to us because we obviously love talking and we want to hear more stories. And there's just so many different ways that life can unfold. And we would really like to put that on our podcast. So again, I'm Ashley. And I'm Megan. And you are listening to the Mito Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.